welcome to the Dangerous Woman podcast. My name is Sophie Norris, and I'm a co-founder of the Dangerous Woman Collective, a cohort of fabulous, talented, dangerous women created with the ambition of bringing women together to help and empower one another in any way we can. On today's episode, we're chatting with the brilliant Annabelle Thomas, creator and CEO of the organic and sustainable Scottish whiskey company, Nicknean Distillery. After leaving her consulting job in London in 2013, Annabelle spent four years raising funds and building the distillery from the ground up on the west coast of Scotland. As the first woman to run a whiskey distillery in Scotland, Annabelle's journey has been an eye-catching one. Launching their first whiskey in 2020, the brand has been met with wide acclaim and we are thrilled to be able to sit down with her, although sadly for us here in the studio, without a bottle or two. Welcome to the Dangerous Women podcast. I am really excited to have Annabelle Thomas with me today. I have known Annabelle for a very, very, very long time. And I'm not going to steal any of her story because it is such an interesting career path that she's been on and where she is today. If you like whiskey, as a heads up, you may have heard of her. But Annabelle, thank you so much for joining us this morning or this afternoon. And why don't you tell your story about why you're a dangerous woman and why you're here today? Thanks. Well, thanks for having me, Sophie. Um... So why am I here today? My background. Well, we met mm, 20 plus years ago. I think you were 18 when I, I met you. No. <laughs> um, when I was doing PR. Um, anyway, I went on from that to work as a strategy consultant at Bain in London. For eight years, which was all fun. Um, but what I've been doing for the last 10 years is setting up and now running a single malt whiskey distillery on the west coast of Scotland, which couldn't really be more different to what I did before. Um, it's called Nicknean, and we are really all about two things. One is doing things as sustainably as possible. So we say that we're trying to pioneer sustainable production in whiskey and also trying to make whiskey in a bit more of a creative, forward thinking, modern way, a kind of whiskey for this century, if you like. How cool. So, yes, I am sitting opposite a whiskey maker, which is possibly one of the coolest things I've ever done, and a very young female whiskey maker. Uh, and yes, I called you young because you're <laughs> much you, younger than you, me. Thank you. I know, I know. Um, Rare these but, days. <laughs> but first of all, Annabelle, can you tell us how to spell Nick Nian and also a little bit more about the name? Yes. So, Nick Nian is spelt N C N E A N. Isn't there a little apostrophe? There, there is an apostrophe, but I mean, that's a small technicality. Okay, well, I love punctuation. So <laughs> That's okay. Correct punctuation is an apostrophe between the C and the N. Excellent. Um, and it's, so, fun fact, Nook is the female equivalent of Muck. I never knew that. So we get called Muckneyan a lot, but, uh, so Muck means son of, MacDonald, son of Donald. Yep. Nook means daughter of. So the name is now even more evocative. Thank exactly. you very, very much. So, I mean, my first and most obvious question is, is it unusual to be the founder? Well, A, I guess, how many new whiskey distilleries start? And then is it completely bizarre that you're a woman in this world? Or is there is there a path there to follow? I think you're the first in Scotland, woman run. Yeah, yes and no. Okay. So there are a few new whiskey distilleries, increasing in number actually, every almost every day. There's not nearly as many new whiskey distilleries as there are new gin distilleries. It's much harder to set up a whiskey yeah. distillery because it's bigger and you've got to lay stock down for ages and you can't just turn it out overnight. Um, but there are lots of new distilleries in Scotland and England and oh, all sorts of other countries in the world now as well. So... Um, 
Is it unusual to be a woman? Woman? Yes and no. I mean, like hundreds of years ago, there were women that were involved with the founding of all kinds of iconic brands that you still know today and are mostly now owned by one of the big kind of corporates of the industry. You mean whiskey brands? Whiskey brands, yeah. Oh, yeah so women brands. have always been involved in whiskey? They have always been involved there in whiskey. There had to be some reason. Exactly. It tasted so good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and from the inside of the industry, there are many more women in it than anyone perceives. Okay. So... I think people look in at the industry and think it's entirely men, which is not true. That being said, I mean, there's a problem with diversity in most industries, <laughs> but there's a particular problem with it in whiskey, both at the kind of managerial level, but also at the production level. Most distillers are still men. And am I right in thinking yours is not? Um, or you so have a we mix? We have a, a basically blend. a well, yes, a diverse workforce, just That's, what we're looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah a, mi- a mixture of men and women. And that actually, I did not set out to do that intentionally. And this whole kind of female side of things is definitely something that's grown as the company's grown. Um, to be honest, it wasn't actually one of my objectives when I set it up. I just wanted to set, I wanted to do the sustainable and the kind of liquid development side and that was it. But then people started saying, but you're a woman. And I was yeah. like, yeah, so what? <laughs> I know. Exactly. <laughs> and then you sort of start thinking about it and you think, actually, you know, we do have a diverse team, but most companies in the whiskey industry don't. And maybe mm. we should try and speak out a bit more about that and try and influence more women into the industry as a whole. So there's so many questions that I'm going to ask about whiskey now, and I am not a whiskey expert, so I do apologise. Luckily do you are, apologize. so it doesn't matter, but I think that's one of your things. You don't have to be a whiskey expert no. to enjoy Nacnean. So I wondered, again, was that a very deliberate choice? Do you think that comes from the way you distill and the team that you have? And then I wanted to ask about your branding, because it is so beautiful. Thanks. And again, that must be a partly female gaze it must be definitely yeah well I think on the first one it is it's always been a really important part of our ethos to try and attract new drinkers drinkers to whiskey because my perspective looking in on it was it was extremely stuffy and stayed when you think of old boys clubs cigars and great big heavy glasses yeah which has its place but exactly exactly and it just felt like the industry had actually put up loads of barriers to people drinking it. Like, oh, you've got to know the difference between a single malt and a blended whiskey. Mm-hmm. And, oh, you mustn't drink single malt like this, and it must be this, and it mustn't be that, and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. And mm. once I'd started to actually like whiskey, which took me until my late 20s, I realised that one of the reasons I didn't like it was because I'd only ever been given it neat. Yes. The way you're meant to drink single malt. Off the rocks, right? So just warm, neat. Exactly. Warm, neat, high strength alcohol. And that takes quite a lot of getting used to. So one of the things that we're trying to do is encourage people to try in different ways and say it's okay. It doesn't just have to be neat. Okay. So what sort of what like on the rocks or on the rocks or I mean, we say drink it however you like. But my favorite is um, on ice with so whiskey and soda. It's a classic drink. It's been around for like whiskey and soda. So that's how I that. That's my only way I can drink whiskey, I think. yeah, It's amazing. It's not drowning the whiskey with Coke, which, you know, having it sat in barrels for a very long time might be... Yes, a bit sad. A bit sad. Yes. Um, Although, to be honest, if that's what you want to do, do Do it. it. Like, I don't care. But the soda lengthens it, so you're Mm. not getting the neat alcohol. It's a really refreshing drink. It's not sweet, so if you compare it to a gin and tonic, it's much more kind of savoury drink. And it really brings out the flavour of the whiskey. I think there's nothing not to love about it. So, so. what's the flavour profile of... I know you have several, don't you, of different ages yeah, now, but, but our, your bestseller. Our, our kind of showcase of the best of what we do is light and fruity. 
That okay, so we've already it's quite for. approachable. Exactly. Nice. But interestingly, it's also got quite a lot of body and texture to it, which comes from the organic barley we use. And that means it really stands up well to the soda. Because oh. if you add too much soda to whiskey or it's not got body to begin with, it can end up a bit meh. Um, but soda works super well with Nick Nian, so. Um So we actually have that written on the side of the bottle. Oh, nice. So you're really up front. You make it really as pushing it and acceptable as possible exactly. for people to do what they want. That's and good. people often comment on, oh my God, you've got a cocktail recipe. It's nice. Not really a cocktail recipe, but yes, it's we have a recipe. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, we have a recipe on the side of the bottle because we want to be that upfront that that, you know, Amazing. you can do it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about the bottle and how that came to be? And I know it, well, I'm going to let you talk, but can you describe the bottle for people first? Yes. And then, because this has to have come from. Your head, I suspect. Um, so the bottle is, well, first of all, it's made of 100% recycled clear glass, which nice. is very unusual. Um, and as a result, I have a much lower carbon footprint than a normal clear glass bottle. But it is, so it's a round kind of short bottle and it's got local flora and ferns and things printed in colour all around the bottle. They just look handmade, the bottles yes, almost. Are they? exactly. They are not. <laughs> no, but, but that would be impossible. But, but it was genuinely yeah. hand drawn to begin yeah. with and then digitized and then it's printed on they are i mean they must they do because i've seen them they jump off a shelf yes exactly. stunning so talk and a I, bit about how that came who did was that a local artist that did it for you no it was it was a british artist but we actually went like we had we have to kind of go a bit further back in history which is i started with these two clear things i wanted to do but mm. i'm not like a aesthetic type of person Things come out of my mind in words or numbers, not in You're pictures. A strategy sort of yes, person. exactly. Yes. Right. And so I couldn't articulate what I wanted to look like. I could articulate what I didn't want it to look like, yeah. but not really what I wanted it to look like. And we found this amazing agency called Fresh Britain, mm-hmm. who started instead of with designing the bottle, they started with archetypes. So they said, right, what archetype are you as a company? Okay, okay. so what kind of archetype were you as a company? We are Artemis. Like the Greek god. Yes. Well, the whole point of this archetyping process is, is as humans, we only tell we tell stories with a limited number of characters, and you know, your a brand or a company is normally one of those characters. Mm-hmm. Not everyone goes this far into defining who they are, but I found it a super helpful process. So yeah, we defined ourselves as Artemis, which is actually where things like Quiet Rebels, which is one of the ways we used to describe our team, come from. And the whole point of Artemis is it's not like she's not super rebellious, but she just kind of walks her own path. And we then, from that, we found the kind of Gallic equivalent of Artemis in mm-hmm. Gallic history, Nishneohain, which is then where our name, Nick Nian, comes from. from. And Nishneohain was kind of known as a goddess of nature and kind of uh, lived, I guess, in the kind of moonlit phase of the day. So okay. a lot of our colours are very kind of woodland moonlighty. Yep. And so it all flowed from that, basically. And then we got this artist to paint lots of the local flora and fauna, well, flora only, really, that you could find around the distillery. So anything from oak to ferns. And so, yeah, I was super pleased with that. I mean, it took a lot of iterations. It would, that did not come out overnight. You are now, how long has, how long have you been selling the whiskey? Because obviously, how, how long is the, you've got what, however many years it is while it matures in the barrels, I assume. Yep. So I've been working on the project for 10 years, which is quite terrifying. So it was two years of raising money, two years of physically building the distillery. Then we started production in 2017. So go back to raising money. When you, you were pretty, I mean, young 
genuinely yeah. quite young when he went out and did <laughs> genuinely that. Genuinely young, not, not fake young, not like fake you young, not, not much, just not much younger than me. But you were genuinely, you must have been early thirties when yeah, you were exactly going out and touting for cash. We've had a, several female founders and entrepreneurs on this business, and it is not easy to fundraise. I know you came from a world where that is perhaps a bit more open and bane. But how is that a thirty-two-year-old woman saying, "I want some cash to make to make booze"? Well, you know what's funny is that no one really commented on either of those things. So maybe that made it hard. But at least if that was the reason it was hard, I wasn't actually aware of it. I mean, part of the reason it was hard is just because it's really hard to raise money for a whiskey distillery because you've got massive upfront capital investment to build the distillery, four and a half million pounds. Then you start spending half a million to a million laying down stock every year. And then three years later, you can start selling it. I mean, it's not exactly... There's no way you can draw that as a hockey stick growth curve because there ain't nothing to sell. No. Um, And it's quite a risky proposition to investors. So that did make it really hard. We... Did you plan for two years? Um, nope. No, no. I thought the distillery would be built by the end of the first two years. Oh, my God. Okay. So it, did, it was a slow... Yeah, okay. So there was a learning... There was a constant learning curve for you exactly. from the get-go. Yeah. I mean, I think in retrospect, we did it quite quickly. Yeah, I said it's quick to me. Oh, but you got all the investment and you've got some quite nice investors, if we I remember. We do. Yes. We do. We've got a great selection of investors. We've got... Four, we ended up with 45 after that process, but we'd approached 850. Okay. Still, um, wow. So, Yeah. That was that was a tough, tough, tough process because you've got to take a lot of no, 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 and keep going until you find the yeses. And how did you? What did? How did you just? What just, enabled you to do that? Do you think? I don't know. Just perseverance, born with grit, I suppose. You just got to keep going. <laughs> Bloody I mindedness. Mean, yeah. Well, what was the alternative? Otherwise, I give up and yeah. say, right. Well, now I've not got a job. <laughs> yeah. What am I going to do? No, so, so I yeah, sort yeah. of felt like you know my pride was at stake, basically. Okay, so two years, and then you had all the. You've got three years of it being made exactly and maturing and so we eventually launched in 2020 and that's is that when you did you not have a record selling barrel or there was some amazing auction that yes, you did that was, was that your in launch 2020 so what exactly. tell everyone about that because this is also from the mind of a woman i think exactly it's, it's such a different way to launch a whiskey i love this well it wasn't it wasn't at all planned either so we so we always knew right we'd started selling in 2017 whiskey must be a minimum of three years old so we always knew yep. that mid 2020 that was going to be launched the first bottle would the be, first or bottle whatever. would be yep. out so until the beginning of 2020, the team was just me and the people at the distillery distilling and so, doing tours and things. I mean, no offence because you're all artists, but the workers. So you and the... Yes, yeah, exactly. There was no you extra. were actually making yeah. whiskey. Yeah. So then in early 2020, I start to recruit a commercial team, so marketing and sales yeah. and so on. And my head of marketing joined in early 2020 and we wrote our first marketing plan, which said with the classic spirits marketing plan, get it into bars because then people can taste it, go to events, let people taste it, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happened in March 2020? Well, oh, COVID yeah. hit. Yes. So we literally had to rip the whole plan up and sat there thinking, what are we going to do? And at the same time, I'd recruited my first head of on-trade sales, oh. which also... He couldn't do anything. No. So there's three of us sat in these digital meetings going, oh. Yeah. Um, With barrels maturing exactly, by the day. Exactly. Yes. We were young and easy to adapt. So we went full on digital, start pumping out cocktail videos on Instagram and so on. Um, Which was probably, you've just thrown that away, but probably in the world of whiskey, that wasn't super standard no, either. So you, exactly. by necessity, you found a new route to market as exactly. well, which is very cool. Exactly. Yeah. And it had actually, that bit came from recruiting Matt, who used to run a whiskey bar in East London oh, cool. and approached me. And I just, and he said, oh, you know, come be a brand ambassador. And I was like, okay, probably wasn't who I'd recruit first necessarily, but he 
seemed like a great guy and he's still with us today and now he does all of our whiskey blending and he's an amazing photographer videographer cocktail maker so he did all the cocktails on our website he did yeah it was oh, brilliant he a boon. Yes. it was brilliant anyway so the three of us are sat around and i'm like i just feel a bit uncomfortable about launching a 55 60 pound bottle of whiskey in the middle of covid if you think back to april 2020 you know when you had to cross the street if you saw someone yes. and all that kind of stuff and all the world seemed like a very dark place I just felt bad about it. So we came up with this idea of auctioning the first 10 bottles for charity. Um, and we were going to use the auction to support two hospitality charities, two sustainability charities and our local community trust. So we did fine. We, In fact, Sasha, Matt and I went to the distillery for the first time in 2020 in August when we were allowed to travel a bit and took the bottles by ourselves to the auction house. And, and it just went bananas, the auction. And the first bottle went £41,000 incredible it was absolutely incredible and the whole team were on our whatsapp group because i mean the auction went on into the WTF evening yeah is going exactly on. exactly who, i mean i know you can't say but was it bought in this country was it so the, well we so we put 10 bottles on there yeah and what happened is that two people were what? bidding each other up amazing so one person ended up with bottle number one and the other person ended up with bottles two through ten. Oh, okay uh, and one was from the netherlands and one was from the uk that's amazing. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And ironically, it was probably the best bit of marketing we did all year. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't well, even meant to be marketing. It was because we felt bad about the situation. And also sort of whatever it was, 50 grand or whatever it yes. was for the for exactly. a bunch of really worthwhile charities at the yes, time as well. So. Well, and we told them all, we thought the whole auction of the 10 bottles would make 20 grand. So we said, you're going to get four each. And then they got 20 each. <laughs> it was amazing. Incredible. Brilliant. So, yeah. And it really, it felt like karma, actually, because we felt like we were doing the right thing by giving money to charity. And yeah, it came back at us in, in swathes. Why did we choose this super remote place? <laughs> Because it's my family's farm. Aha! Okay. And that was the original genesis of the idea, if you okay. like. So it start. in fact, it was my dad originally that said these old, slightly derelict farm buildings aren't really being used for farming anymore because now we have modern sheds and tractors yeah. and all the rest of it. We could put a distillery there. Um, and so I took some time off from Bain and said to my family, well, I'll write the business plan because we just keep talking about it and nodding and think about it. So I took a trip to Isla, which is an island off mm -hmm. Scotland where there's loads of distilleries and did four tours in a row. I'd never been to a distillery before. And by the fourth one, I actually felt like I could do the tour for yeah. the lady. I asked one question because she said something different to the other three tours. And she said, are you in the industry? I was like, no, I've just done four tours yes. in a row. And you've said one thing different. I picked up on it. And it was all about doing things the way they'd always been done. And I was like, Hundreds of years of Scottish tradition. Exactly. Yes. And I was like, no one's talking about sustainability or any of the other things I know younger consumers care about from my time at Innocent. Yeah. And I thought, if someone doesn't do something about it, the industry's going to die. Um... And I think there's a great role for tradition and for the existing distilleries to keep that up. But there's a need for new people to come in and, you know, do up. a more forward-looking version. No, oh, brilliant. Sorry, I just didn't know why you're quite so remote. So many other things have opened up to you, sort of opportunities that aren't anything to do with whiskey in some ways. Like, I know you've spoken at COP and I know yeah. you've become B Corp and I know you've been a big head on the wall of coots. So tell me about COP. How did that come about? Because COP is a thing. Yes, COP is a thing. 
It's interesting because if I think back to when we were raising money and we were talking about sustainability then, there were not that many people who thought it was important. And I had a lot of debates with investors about the kind of MP or the like the return on mm. the biomass boiler, for example, which is what supplies all of our renewable energy for the, for the distillery. And, you know, they were saying the mass just doesn't add up. The return period is too long, etc. And we kind of stuck to our guns and said, well, maybe, but we think it's the right thing to do. And so bye-bye, we'll find a different investor kind of thing. I mean, first of all, you would never have a discussion like that now. No. Can you imagine? Even if they thought that, they wouldn't dare say it. Do you know, it. I, it's not at all the same, but I once had a, a very lovely hotel client in North Devon, very beautiful old country. Uh, Laurence Olivier used to stay there. It was sort of fab. And the the owner decided to invest in a bio, biomass boiler, which is a chunky piece of investment. Anyway, he then realised what he'd done and how much money he spent. And he kept, every time he was, he was well into his 80s, the owner, and he kept on saying, Sophie, please write a press release about the biomass boiler. I was like, I can't, I can't. I can't write a press release about it. But I know, it's from that same place yes. of, holy yes. shamoly, that is a big investment. Exactly. And you're right, back in the, whenever this was, mid- 10 years ago, yeah, no one cared would, about no. it. So you, you'd made yes. some chunky so, investments and you'd so had to we talk to investors. We very much it. stuck to our guns up front about, you know, sustainability is what we want to do and it was not the thing at the time at all but thankfully it has become the thing now thankfully both for the planet and for Nick yes and we have kind of managed to position ourselves as the leading sustainable distillery in Scotland so COP26 was in Glasgow and I had met probably in 2016 so before we were even producing this lovely lady at a whiskey event in London. And I got along as a consumer rather than with my Nick Nian hat on and we'd stayed in touch. And she ended up in a position in the Scottish Government organising COP stuff. And obviously Nicola Sturgeon was First Minister at the time. And so they wanted a female-founded sustainable distillery to showcase at the Scottish pavilion yeah. opening and that is a venn diagram of one and it is us yes okay so you are the center <laughs> exactly. and the bubbles exactly yes. <laughs> amazing um so you so yeah we were got you to, main stage or side event you were main stage well it was the no it was the, oh, it the was pavilion the, you said in the Scottish Sorry, pavilion. Yeah, yeah. so it was the opening of the Scottish pavilion and it was a really cool experience just to see inside honestly yeah, fascinating and so we did a panel chat with Nicola Sturgeon and just seeing her in action was incredible I mean whatever you think about her politics she was a complete machine and very impressive when you saw her and then there were all these so that was broadcast to whoever it was broadcast to and then lots of people came for this reception and we served Nick Nian to the how the attendees and I bet the investors who went by my spoilers eh? rode right back at that point well I mean they'd already rode well maybe it wasn't by that point but anyway I mean the oil prices have made it look much more economically attractive anyway which no one saw coming so long term vision yeah so and then B Corp when when did you become so I'm obsessed with B Corp by the way I think you know in a world on fire you need things like B Corp to make manifest change so the fact you know it is an amazing because it's no easy thing to achieve. No, it's no easy thing. When did you get it? Uh, we finally got it in January twenty two, but it was a long so a year, just journey. A year, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We so I'd never heard of it until I think twenty seventeen ish, and I went to a kind of founders networking do and met someone there who was just qualified or qualifying and told me about it. I was like, well, "This sounds amazing." Um, so we tried to get it in kind of twenty eighteen nineteen and failed. 
So, and isn't that amazing when you built it on the ethos of being sustainable well, and accountable? And, and the reason it failed actually was more because we were given some poor advice about how to answer the questions uh-huh, rather yes, than always the way. Anyway, so I just put it to I was painful process anyway. We put it to one side, and then when COVID hit, Amy. So, so just for people who don't know, it is literally like a hundred pages. I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Yeah. Yep. Of detailed form filling that yep. has to go on it. So like and two, three week process and attaching. you have to evidence everything. Yeah, yep. yeah. It is no it is not a mean No, no. It is a very it's, serious thing. And yeah. also as a small business you just don't have a lot of the policies in place. Like you may do things, but it's not written down anyway. So then you've got to write a policy for yeah. it. And then you can, God, you know. It's like being a school. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of it's about governance. Governance, people, a yeah. lot of it's about people. Yeah. I mean, the sustainability side, we kind of could do. Mm. But even that, actually, we've improved a lot on since mm. then. So you've got to be caught. Jan so 22. we then tried again. So we submitted in August 20 and we got it in Jan 22. That is how long and painful the process is. Yeah, no, I've I've heard that. In fact, yeah. I've opened it a few times and closed it again. Because <laughs> it is it's it's a lot. Yeah. Even they're little, they have this little, do you think you'd like to go for B Corp test? And that you're just like, oh, holy shit, this is awful. But it is a really yeah. impressive thing. And I there is a community around B Corp. And have you found that? Yes. And they and they sort of look after each other. Definitely. And mm. I think, I mean, the Coots window that you mentioned. That's so talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So Coots is a B Corp and they featured three female-led B Corps on their window in... December last year? No, it was uh, March. It was, was March, it? which is B Corp month. Ah. And obviously as International Women's Day. So it was kind of mm. perfect bringing together. There is a community, but you know what's even... What has surprised me about it is that the trade is starting to care. So it's actually making a commercial difference to us as well because Amazing. people are taking on B Corp brands or featuring B Corp brands on a shelf or something because they're B Corp. And do you think why? Because they know they're buying ethically, sustainably. Do you think there's a supply chain robustness to that that people... I wonder why... No, I think it's because they think their consumers care. Okay, so they think consumers... Simple think as that. It's a bit like a kite mark of goodness. Yeah. It's like the red tractor or whatever else. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Exactly, and they want to be seen to do the right thing. To So not only do they think their consumers want to buy it, but they also want to be seen to be doing the right thing to feature ethical brands and thus encourage consumers to come back and so on. So, But yeah, so it, it does go back to supply chain, doesn't it? You know that everywhere along the line of that brand that you're buying, everything yes, is tick, yes. tick, tick. So you're Exactly. Robustness in the ethical sense of the word, yes. yes not sorry. robustness in the... I mean, won't fall over tomorrow. Sense no, yes, yes, no, a hundred percent. I yes, just, yes, exactly. you know that everything is okay. And so Coots, yeah. so yes, Annabelle was 25 feet high, I guess, or something on, on the strand for the month of March. And I, I, so I just thought that was really interesting that they chose, I know they linked it with B Corp Month and Women's Day, but to profile three women was founders was really interesting. I think Coots has quite a strong women led program yeah. within it. So I, was, I wondered if you'd just, does being aligned to something like that change your business in any way? Is it good from a business point of view? It's probably a bit quick to know. It is a bit quick to know. I mean, I think it is, it's undoubtedly good. I mean, mm. apart from the resource you have to dedicate to doing the accreditation and then the re-accreditation, there is nothing bad about it. It's really good from our team point of view. It's really good from a recruitment point of view. B Corp, this is not B-Corp, you being yeah, a not me, Not being on me. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Although that's good too. Yeah, sure. exactly. Yeah. Um, it's really good from a selling to our customers point of view. There's really no downside to it. Um, but 
and especially if you are doing a lot of those things anyway yeah which we were so the re you know the things that we had to change between not getting accredited and getting accredited were very small it's oh, okay. just we've been told to not bother doing them the first time and that's not how b-lab saw it but it also you know encourages you on this journey of continuous improvement i think that's a really positive thing for the world and that's i mean that's the whole point of it isn't it so yeah no absolutely <laughs> What I'd love to talk to you about now is, again, I know it's probably, you're going to go, but being a woman in a male-dominated industry is interesting, and we don't get many uh, behind the microphone. Not not something quite as as you perceive to be so Mm. male as whiskey, so that's brilliant. So I was, do you feel there's enough representation for non-male voices in the the alcohol industry and then in the whiskey industry? Alcohol is hard to say because that's a massively diverse. I guess, yes. I mean, things like gin, loads, things like beer not enough um, yeah so but whiskey specifically no definitely not this is not something i thought about at all to begin with but once we had whiskey out there and you start thinking about how what we're showing just take an instagram page you know if you look at other whiskey brands instagram pages they only feature men by and large okay which is partly because it's a lot of photos of their teams and most of their teams are men you know yeah. it becomes this vicious circle but we are lucky to have a very diverse team and we put pictures of our team up and it's men and women and that is I think a great thing and that means women who are coming to our Instagram page go oh there's other women drinking whiskey maybe I should try it and I think that is so more people need to do that and have you been conscious in your branding of Nicknean about the female eye as well as the male eye so do you talk about it in a different or you've already said however you want to drink it is the right way to drink it which is the antithesis of what other people say and that was that very conscious yes it was, but I think not because I'm a woman. We'd stated that our target audience was 30 to 40-year-old men and women. Right. And I think we've been true to that. Which is a, a lower age profile. It's a, it's a lower age, exactly. Yeah. I, the, I don't know what exactly the typical whiskey yeah. drinker is, but let's call it 50 to 60 plus men. So I think that drives everything we do. I think that drives who we show on our Instagram page. I think that drives what the bottle looks like. I think that drives how we communicate and so on. No, I agree. Um, so it's a, just a and I think, freshness. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's really helped by me being a woman. And I think it that that has is interesting because our kind of sustainable ethos has helped us recruit people who care about sustainability. And I think me being a woman has helped recruit women into the company. So it becomes this virtuous circle inside the company where we kind of keep living our values, basically. So yes, it's what and who you surround yourself yes. with expands that circle layer by layer exactly every, every time yes i was going to ask because some of it must be that you're you and you happen to be a woman mm-hmm. so that has it but i wonder how much of how you approach it is just because you're brand new to you know you came from behind a desk literally to the wilds of scotland yeah and that's that's a totally fresh pair of eyes on a no, old industry as well yeah definitely a hundred percent that is true because i think if you've worked it the traditions are so deeply embedded in whiskey. Did you follow them all? No. So you went in. No, I went blustering. in. I mean, there are lots of rules that you have to follow, like laws about how whiskey is made, and we have not broken any of those. But on everything else, we have tried to not follow it. So, for example, when we were trying to find the brand agency to create the bottle, we approached some of the kind of typical whiskey you know that work for all the whiskey brands oh, yes. and we approached others and i think if we'd gone with one of the traditional whiskey ones we'd have got a traditional whiskey bottle yeah you know so i think just going like we're not going to go with them we're going to take a different path that is the key when i was at bain i spent a year and a bit on an externship working for innocent the smoothie company oh yes and i think that was very formative in many many ways first it was probably the first place i'd worked where they'd combined purpose and profit in yeah. my mind before that profit 
was companies over here and purpose was charities over here and there was nowhere in between. I think we're still, I mean, I think well, we're closer, but I, Annabelle's arms are wide apart <laughs> right now. And I think they're closer, but I don't think they're touching for a lot of people. I think I there's, agree. because I think there's so much shareholder value rather than yes, stakeholder value I is agree. baked into, I know, we I need a bigger chapter. I don't agree. I'm so but into stakeholder value. Really, but. Innocent really showed me that it didn't all have to be about shareholder value. Um, so that was really important, but also they were marketing a smoothie brand in a quite distinctive way. Yes. And I think that whole mindset I took with me. You've talked about how well it's all gone and I'm sure, it, but sort of trials, has have there been bumps? Would you, any recommendations you'd give to founders moving oh, forward? Any so thoughts? Many bumps, oh, like so many bumps. Can you share any with us? Um, well, the first thing I would say is that if you're thinking of founding your own business, don't listen to the public stories that entrepreneurs tell you. Okay. Because it makes a very depressing podcast if I just tell you about all the rubbish that's happened. Oh, yes. Yeah, so I don't want to hear about crap. Exactly. No. <laughs> and I think as a result, people sometimes, not always, but sometimes look at founding your own business as this amazing thing. And it's not most of the time. Yes, they're really amazing moments like when you have your face on the side of coots. But yes. that's equal and opposite amount of rubbish moments go alongside that the the building phase was probably the worst bit the the really rubbish bit was so we'd raised all the money in 2015 we actually physically had it in our bank account but the distillery is incredibly remote you drive from glasgow you take a ferry and then you drive for an hour on single track roads so getting a contractor to commit to a 12 month quite technical difficult build process up there was difficult where are there shops near you nope the nearest so, shop is half an hour's drive away, and it's like a living in Australia. Yes, it's <laughs> like a, and that is a Highland store. The nearest supermarket is an hour and a half, including a ferry. Okay, so and the nearest builders merchant is also that far away. Okay, so we've raised all the money. It's in the bank, and we had a couple of contractors from the tender process. One dropped out, and we were left with one contractor. And then there was some shenanigans between the architect and the project manager, which was basically politics, and it got back to the contractor, and they pulled out. Oh, so you've got no contractor. No contractor. And also these guys, I mean, not only were they the only contractor left, but they were also a really good contractor because they could do the building and they could also do the biomass boiler, which is enormously complex. Yeah. And so, I mean, I was, it made me, it it really stressed me. It's probably the most stressed I've ever been. I had a physical reaction to it. Oh, no. Um, But once I got over that, I was like, right. I'm, I read How to Win Friends and Influence People and I got on a what, train. Literally? Literally, read, I read, read it in a day. That's hilarious. And I got on a train to Glasgow the next morning and I sat in front of them like a table like this and, yeah, convinced you them to come the back on. the contractor back into yeah. it? Okay. So I'd love to say that's because you're some badass woman, but I think that's just built in you. You're was, a bugger. It's just need. It <laughs> was like, what, otherwise it was going to be like a four, six month tender process again. Well done you. So that so was... been walking on air after that though. Well, I felt like it was more like a near miss. Yeah, Yeah, like, oh, God. I love that you read the book, though. That is hilarious. It's an excellent book. (laughs) Yes, there's a movie now as well, I think, isn't it? I know, so for those who can't be bothered to read the book, watch the probably slightly crap movie and read the book. The other really tough bit was we had 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 from the beginning this amazing master distiller called Dr. Jim Swan, who was the kind of grandfather of the industry, if you like. So he'd been in the traditional whiskey industry for ages, and then he'd kind of pioneered the few young distilleries that there were and how you make great young whiskey, because there's probably lots of people thinking, doesn't single malt have to be 10 or 20 years mm. old to be good? And the answer is no. And a lot of that credit to the no goes to Jim Swan, who pioneered lots of different things in the way you make whiskey. 
So he, we'd had him on board since before I'd left Bain, and he very sadly passed away two weeks before we did our first distillation. Oh no, I'm so sorry, first of all. So it was... Um, and on all levels, that's a challenge. Yeah. Because you probably become quite close by that point. We'd become quite close. Like, he never got to see the spirit he'd spent no. so long designing. But also, we were kind of left like, oh. what do we do? Exactly. Yes. I mean, thankfully, he'd been to the distillery a month earlier and met our distillery manager who just started. And we'd had this day-long discussion, basically. And thankfully, I'd written good notes about, you know, how to make whiskey. But yeah, that was tough. Gosh. Um... So yeah, I'd say those are two of the really bad bits. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, no, bad bits, but also fortitude yes. comes through in both of those. I can imagine, and again, very dealing with contract. It's all you know, lots of blokes doing things in suits, and it's suddenly you're a girl in a room fighting lots of men, and not that you're a girl, a woman in a room fighting lots of men, and it's you know, it's and not always know, the most comfortable thing. No, and that was the most the time that I have really felt unusually. Female, if you like. Yeah, I know the, what you mean, when you were really aware of it. Yes, yes. Is, is, has only been with contractors. You never see a female on a building site, ever. That needs fixing people. Yes, exactly. And that is the, it doesn't feel like, so I think people think the whiskey industry is like that as well, and it definitely isn't. But the building industry definitely is. There was not, I mean, I was going to monthly project meetings. There was never, there was never any other female involved. And did they treat, did you feel treated like a woman by them? Or it's just you felt like one because you were the only woman in the room? No, I don't think so. I mean, contractors aren't the easiest to deal with, are they? They do know best. And you don't know whether they're just being, you know, they're just being annoying builders or... But they did a spectacular job because it is beautiful. They did do a good job. It was quite painful to get there, but yeah, yeah, they did. So that, I would say, is the least... Where I felt uncomfortable. The only time I felt uncomfortable that's is in... interesting. Yeah. Well, okay, building trade. That's where we need to focus our PR efforts, <laughs> exactly. everybody, and our marketing efforts and getting more women into the building industry because I'm sure we have lots to add. We reconnected, obviously, about a year and a half ago because of the Dangerous Women Collective, which yep. um, me and my business partner, Sam, started yep. up, which was has been a joy because I've got yep. to see you quite a few times exactly. since, which has been lovely. Um, and we started the Dangerous Women Collective because basically Sam and I hate networking. Um, and we thought, why go out and add somebody else's network when we can create our own? Yep. Uh, a little bit like the old boys network, but who wants to be an old woman when you can be a dangerous one? And I know, I don't know how you feel about networking. Are you a fan? No. You've, no, but you have talked several times today about outcomes of networking. I know. So tell me about your secrets to networking, because it's I nobody likes to go into a room with lots no. of suits. I think... I think the only way I can describe it is to not network. <laughs> but to like, I used to think, especially when I was at Bain, you were told to network to develop your future clients, right? And there was used to be a whoever comes back with the most business cards yes. wins a prize. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I think exactly. that's why we started the collective. Exactly. Yes. And at Bain, I just I was like rabbit in the headlights. Couldn't just could not figure it out. I couldn't see a path from where I was to any future networking that was either going to work or be enjoyable frankly but since I've been doing Nick Nian my view on it has changed quite a lot because partly because I have seen the results of what to be honest I don't think of it as networking I think that's the key I just think a bit of going and meeting people for fun basically like you know the COP26 lady that I met I'd literally just gone to a women's whiskey night at Milroy's in Soho for fun because I thought it'd be a cool thing to do yeah and that's how it came out of it, you know. So I think going to these things and making meaningful connections with people, which just means being a nice person, 
and engaging with them and then making sure you stay in contact. That's all there is to it. And stay in contact in the loosest sense of the word, like... <laughs> LinkedIn or whatever well, it might yeah, be. The, the lady that we ended, I ended up doing COP26 through, we just followed each other on Instagram. She sent me literally an Instagram message about COP26. That's amazing. <laughs> That's how it started. So I think, you know, whatever works for you and the other person is the answer. So, think, so one is attitude. You, you, yes. you've, you've gone in with a fresh attitude. That yes. is, it's also giving yourself permission to leave if it's no good to you. Yes. You don't have to stay somewhere forever. Yes. But three, I wonder if you're doing something that you, you I mean, Nick Nian is you and you are Nick Nian yes. now, right? Yes. So the two of you are intertwined. Yes. Does that make, that must make it easier to talk about or represent? I, sus- I suspect it does. I suspect it does. It. Um, no, I haven't. But I mean, that must be, yeah. It must be because if I think about going as a Bain partner instead, where you're trying to sell, effectively sell consulting services, that is tricky. Yes. <laughs> Whereas, you know, there's a lady, another funny example. There's a lady that I met on the sleeper train back from Scotland. And I met, the, so the train, our train was cancelled. We were bussed across Scotland to another sleeper train. I met this lady on the bus and she was like a doctor going for a job in Fort William. And we're still in touch. She was texting me last night. Uh, yeah, no, it's amazing. And so just keeping in touch with people like that. And then, you know, she's like, oh, maybe you want to come do some speaking opportunities to the medical profession, you know, that kind of stuff. It just, and so I think, you know, I would never, as a Bain consultant, I'd never have met someone like that and Bain be at all interesting to them. Whereas whiskey is interesting to people. So I think that does well, matter. And your help. story is interesting and you care very deeply about the story. Yeah. That, and you're And you're completely at one with it yeah I always think I, so I'm with you on networking I think the more just you you can be in the room yes. and I think thank god we're in an age where you know uncorporate is the thing and being yes. corporate is much less yes. of a thing the more authentically you you can be which I know is really corny but is true the more you can be and then it's just about keeping in touch and luckily yes. we live in an age where you don't have to bloody phone someone to keep in touch with them which would, must have stopped so much networking in history as picking up a phone absolutely Exactly. Or your phone was ringing all the time. But yes, exactly. I know. Um, Whereas it's so much easier because it's such a soft touch and then you can... Exactly. I know. So yeah. it is. We're, we're, we're born in the right era for yeah. the kind of networking we like. And then you have wonderful events like The Collective with our wonderful gang of women who it's just a very easy space to be. So if you can find the spaces that work for you. Exactly. And I, I think, don't really... Th- I mean, obviously that is networking, but that's not... Networking to me in the sense of like fills me with dread at all. It's just a fun evening where you meet really interesting people, you know. Yeah, so you need to hunt out the places where there's interesting people. Exactly, that fit for you, which won't be the same for everybody. No, 100%. Yes, exactly. I always like to find out, I mean, this is a a podcast for women about women, although we do hope there's lots of lovely men listening as well. But I wonder if there's anything about being a woman that has given you a unique viewpoint or perspective into any point it doesn't even bane any point of your career or or nicknean that just you know being a woman has has helped define who you are or where you've been definitely well i think that i don't think nicknean would be like it is if i was not a woman and i think it's actually proved to me I think the value of diversity in a way that I didn't I sort of understood it theoretically before but not in reality and I think you just think about things a bit differently I can see that within my now diverse team of men and women they and I think you've got to have both it's no good just being women it's no good just being men but I think having a female bent like skewed vision in the industry is a really positive thing it just we just think about things in a different way and I think that's you know that's great and I think So we bring that into the industry, but also as a result, we stand out. What is your favourite thing about 
about your whiskey? Drinking. <laughs> because? Um, because, well, the contrast of being a consultant to actually making something tangible is brilliant. I've yeah, only okay. made paper before <laughs> with words on it, and now you actually can make something that you can share with people, that you can open, that is fun. And, you know, a lot of our, in, we're on the e- edges or in perhaps the hospitality industry. And I just think that's an amazing place to be and how only ever having been a kind of consumer of hospitality before to now see hospitality from kind of behind the scenes has been a amazing. cool experience and can you tell us um how people can find nicknean and you at your socials your website how can people find you well we are nicknean.com at nicknean on all social media it's very straightforward uh, and hopefully you can also find us as a bottle in your local independent spirits retailer uh we're also in selfridges harvey nichols whiskey exchange booths in the north if we have any northern listeners i love booths i love booths well thank you so much for being here annabelle it has been brilliant to talk to us i always feel like i'm just having chats with old friends on these things so it's a real treat for me but i think there's some really great learnings particularly about networking and fortitude and keeping moving forward and for anybody i guess looking to step out of their comfort zone then this is a episode that was really worth listening to so thank you so much thanks for having me sophie it's been super fun Yay! thank you so much to annabelle for chatting with us today and for sharing her career changing story taking her from consulting to distilling from managing contractors to speaking at cop annabelle's story should inspire anyone hoping to step into the unknown Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dangerous Women podcast. To learn more, find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, or at dangerouswomencollective.com.